1: a calling i am honored and eager to answer
0: so yeah now it's clean up on aisle 45 time and for a long while yet it is going to be clean up on aisle 45.
1: All right, welcome to episode nineteen of Clean Up on Aisle 45. It is Wednesday, May 26th, and we have a fantastic episode for you in store.
0: Yes, indeed. As we sit here waiting on Monday <laughs> evening for the Bill Barr deci- or you know, the Merrick Garland decision on the Bill Bar OLC memo, I will keep refreshing as we are talking. But first, we have got to thank our new patrons who signed up over at patreon.com/slash aisle45 pod. You heard our call, and a bunch of you signed up this week. Thank you so much to Casey, Amy Mallison Austin, Purist, Beth Lakin, Avogadro, the star-nosed mole furry, (laughs) Els, Steve Boyer, Tony Belegante, and my favorite, slow down, law-talking woman. You got me running. You got me (laughs) searching.
1: And I would like to thank Philip DeFord, Dane Gleesack, Art Cannon, mrs sdc jim petiti ann ellen selbeck mary skull Susanna goldenstein and drew devries thanks to all of you for supporting the show making this possible and we've rewarded you with ad free episodes plus special hangouts and other fun goodies i think AG are, are, are we really going to do karaoke? I
0: I don't know yet. It's a, it's a possibility. <laughs> I would love for uh, folks to hit us up on our Twitter and let us know what kind of hangout you would like. If you want to do pub trivia again, if you want to do karaoke, if you just want to hang out and talk and, and ask questions, submit your questions. We can do that. Uh, whatever you want for the next thing. Maybe we'll uh, take some of the top suggestions. Andrew, create a poll on Twitter yeah. and, and see how it yeah. turns out.
1: We'll give it – why don't we uh, – I'll, I'll create a poll over on patreon.com slash aisle45pod. Perfect. Awesome. Okay. Well, look, before you can make karaoke a legally binding promise, let's hurry up and get to the ABOC where we have learned that uh, former <laughs> EU ambassador Gordon Sondland uh, – <laughs> and, you know, if you – If you were skeptical of that guy from the outset that, you know, this uh, will probably confirm uh, your ambiguous feelings about him. Anyway, he has sued former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo and the United States of America for one point eight million dollars in reimbursement for his legal fees incurred in connection with the first impeachment. That was the Ukraine impeachment, not to be confused with the inciting an insurrection impeachment. Uh, and not to be concerned, you know, confused with all of the rest of the crimes that the Trump administration engaged in.
0: Oh, Yep. And we're inching closer and closer to charges. Uh, I don't want to make any promises, but it's looking <laughs> good. Um, and that is an interesting complaint. Uh, yeah. I've read it. The central thrust seems to be that once the Ukraine story broke and Sundlin was subpoenaed to testify before Congress, he went straight to the White House and asked if they were going to represent him. And he was told that neither the State Department nor the Department of Justice would do so. He was on his own. So you better get a lawyer. So he hired a bunch of high profile lawyers, but was concerned about how expensive they were. So he asked Mike Pompeo if the State Department would pay for his private legal fees. And Pompeo said yes. So first off, Andrew, could the government legally do that? Can they say, yeah, we'll pay for your private lawyer legal fees?
1: So it, it turns out, yes, they can with with an asterisk, right, that there has to not be crime involved, right? Like oh. it's 22 U.S.C. section 2698, and it authorizes the secretary of state, then Pompeo, to in turn Authorize a principal officer of the Foreign Service, that would include Gordon Sondland, to, quote, procure legal services whenever such services are required for the protection of the interests of the government or to enable a member of the service to carry on their work efficiently. Mm. So parse that pretty carefully, right? Like it, it, it has to either be in the interests of the government. That is not just in the interests of Donald Trump, right? Mm. Um it would be hard to argue that this enabled him to carry on his work efficiently, <laughs> unless by efficiently you mean not doing it anymore, <laughs> uh, as he was uh, cycled out in favor of the Rudy Giuliani backdoor dream team.
0: Mm, yeah, his, his, his job got really efficient pretty fast yeah. there by not existing. <laughs> uh, or it could be here where it sure looks like the offer to pay was conditioned on Sunlin keeping his mouth shut. <laughs> Sundland's <laughs> allegation is that Pompeo made a legally binding promise, both individually on behalf of the government, to pay his attorney's fees. But then, of course, Pompeo reneged on that promise after learning that Sundland intended to, I don't know, mostly testify truthfully <laughs> that Trump and his closest aides, including Rudy Giuliani, Kaludi Rudy, pressured Ukraine to announce investigations that would involve then potential Democratic presidential candidate Joe Biden and his son, of course, Hunter Biden. Now, that seems like a crime.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, look, let's be clear. This filing that we're talking about today is a civil complaint, and I'm going to break down exactly what it means. It does not have a criminal component to it yet, because Gordon Sondland is just a dude who wants his money right now. He's not a prosecutor, right? But if what you're asking is, if the allegations that Sondland makes in this complaint are true— Do they suggest a crime by Pompeo? Mm. The answer is absolutely 100%, right? That crime is witness tampering. It is 18 U.S.C. Section 1512B. You know, this is long familiar to, you know, anybody who's a uh, fan of the Mueller report. Right. Mm, mm -hmm. Um, It is whoever knowingly, corruptly persuades another person or attempts to do so with intent to cause or induce any person to withhold testimony from an official proceeding. Right. Mm. Um, And then there's there's subsection C. That was B. Uh, which is even more of a catch all. Whoever corruptly obstructs, influences, or impedes any official proceeding shall be fined or imprisoned not more than 20 years or both.
0: Hmm. Interesting. Uh, that sounds pretty serious. Although yeah. the evidentiary standards are obviously different, right? Uh, yeah. Sundlin only has to prove his claims here because it's a civil suit by a preponderance of the evidence, more likely than not, right? 5149. Uh, to bring criminal charges against Pompeo and others, though, would so some people would hear this and go, "Ha, he's guilty of a crime." Ah, uh, maybe not, because to bring criminal charges that requires proving beyond a reasonable doubt, and we've got those qualifiers that played such a huge role in the Mueller investigation. You actually have to prove corrupt intent, right? You 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 can't just. Say Well, it's pretty obvious.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, that's that's right. But look, I'd be surprised if the DOJ wasn't at least interested, Mm -hmm. um, especially since they're they're named as a co-defendant and Merrick Garland got a copy of this lawsuit hand delivered to him. Right. Mm -hmm. So. So, look, let's let's get back to what's happening under this civil complaint. It's it's actually pretty clever. Right. Count one says that Pompeo had this 2698 authority to offer to pay attorney's fees And he did. And the U.S. never paid it. So it's time to pay up. And he racked up one point eight million dollars in legal fees in connection with the impeachment, which tells me that my rates are too low. Mm, Indeed. Uh, uh, Yeah.
0: Yeah. And it it looks like uh, after the impeachment, when the Trump administration was retaliating against Sundland, it fired (laughs) him on February 7th, 2020. We remember. And then three weeks later, they reimbursed him for eighty six thousand forty dollars and said, that's it. So he gets a little under 90 grand, which is good money if you can get it. But it's not close to the one point eight million he owes. So are we going to actually have to pay for those legal fees out of the public
1: treasury? Yeah, it 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 depends. And that's why I said this lawsuit is clever. Right. So if you have a legitimate government contract, right, that's the count one. Then, yeah, the government has to make good on its obligations. But the argument here is. Is very likely to be that Pompeo didn't really make a bona fide 22 USC 2698 offer because there were no interests of the government to protect, right? He was just doing that Trump thing of dangling some payola in exchange for making sure you testify the right way. And and we should be super clear here that Sunland, right? <laughs> this is the way Trump ran his presidency like a mob boss, right? Like he he never says you know, hey, I want you to do the thing. Right? Like it It paragraph 44 says that Trump told him, quote, go ahead and tell the truth, <laughs> uh, which is a, that's a weird way to, to to encourage somebody to testify truthfully. Um, mm, yeah. But but look, here's the clever bit. Right. The rest of the complaint. Right. And it's supported by a bunch of factual allegations um, about how uh, Pompeo did stuff like violate the Hatch Act. Right. Um, says. Oh, by the way, if Pompeo was lying about really making a 2698 offer, then that's personal fraud. And it's not the U.S., but Pompeo individually in his capacity as a human being who is on the hook for the nearly two million bucks.
0: Yeah. Uh-huh. So Pompeo can't just do the Trump stooge thing, wink and a nod and refuse to you know testify and clam up and basically say nothing, because if he does... He could wind up being personally liable for a bunch of money.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. So, look, I think Pompeo has a pretty big incentive here to want to point the finger at someone else and say, hey, no, look, I thought I was making a bona fide 26.98 offer. I did not, you know, I was not responsible for pulling the, re- whatever his claim is going to be. Um, it, it's, it, it has to be a claim. I mean, you know, it doesn't have to be, but he's got, you know, 1.8 million reasons to try and say that somebody else got involved in the process. So this is going to be really, really interesting, and I am really looking forward to following it.
0: Yeah, sort of a, a damned if he does, damned if he doesn't scenario, right? Because yep. if, he, if he says, uh-uh, then there was no bona fide, and he's personally liable. Uh, so he has to say that there was in order to avoid that. But if he does that, Then he owes, then the government owes the money, but there has to be some other sort of mitigating, you know, non-zero net force that maybe, uh, (laughs) I don't know, is named Trump. So we'll see. We'll see what happens, though. It's very interesting because I know Pompeo is really interested in preserving his cred Because I think he wants to make a run for the White House in 24, or he wants to continue in politics. That's sort of why he was trying to do his best to keep his nose clean. So, yeah, I'm interested to see what happens here, too. Sondland's a butthole, but this is a very, (laughs) very clever lawsuit. And I love the circular firing squad, so I'm all for it.
1: Yep, yep. I think you've you've hit that exactly on the head.
0: Sweet. Well, everybody, we have a lot more to get to in this show. I'm going to check. Oh, let me check right now. I'm going to check over here on the... uh, on the interwebs to see if nope still no filing in dc on the bill bar memo (laughs) i'm going to keep checking throughout the show uh we'll take a quick break i hope it happens during the break we'll be right back stay with us
1: Hey, this is Andrew, and this is an ad for Apostrophe. You know skincare is an area where there's a ton of pseudoscience and nonsense, right? When I had zits as a teenager, I got the put toothpaste on it. Fun fact, that doesn't work. And neither do most home remedies and over-the-counter acne products. Worse, some of them can really damage your skin. But you know what actually does work? Science. Prescription treatments. That's why I'm really excited to partner with Apostrophe sponsoring this episode. Apostrophe is a prescription skincare company that offers science-backed oral and topical medications that are clinically proven to help clear acne. Apostrophe connects you with a board-certified dermatologist who will create a personalized treatment plan that is perfectly tailored to your unique skin. Simply fill out Apostrophe's online quiz about your skin goals and medical history. Then you snap a few selfies and your dermatologist will create your customized treatment plan. Apostrophe treats acne and they can also help you hit your other skincare goals like reduce Redness dark spots wrinkles, which, you know, are kind of a part of my personal skincare goals as a man of advancing years. Look, with Apostrophe, it's really nice to know that you have a real dermatologist and that your plan was tailored just for you. Submitting for my first visit was quick, and I didn't even need to schedule an appointment. Best of all, didn't have to go to the pharmacy, wait in line to get my meds. They sent them directly to me with a cute little postcard and stickers to personalize my prescription bottle. Look, we have a special deal for our audience. You can save $15 off your first visit with a board-certified Dermatologist at apostrophe.com slash cleanup. When you use our code cleanup, this code is only available to our listeners. So to get started, just go to apostrophe.com slash cleanup, click on begin visit, then use our code cleanup at sign up and you'll get $15 off your dermatology visit. That's A-P-O-S-T-R-O-P-H-E dot com slash C L E A N U P. And use that code CleanUp again, C-L-E-A-N-U-P, to get your dermatology visit and save. 15 bucks, and we thank Apostrophe for sponsoring this podcast.
0: Everybody, welcome back. Uh, I would now like to talk about a guy named Charles Reddick. Uh, Trump nominated him to be the IRS tax commissioner in April 2018. He was confirmed in October of that same year. At the time, it seemed clear Trump was trying to install friendlies at the IRS to help keep his tax returns under wraps in the face of the subpoenas from the House and House Ways and Means Committee trying to obtain them. Remember Richie Neal was, hey, mm. we don't have to have a legislative purpose. We're the House Ways and Means Committee. Hand over your shit. We talked about, Andrew, you and I talked about back in uh, during Vietnam, all those uh, cafes and coffee houses that were like housing and supporting anti-war protests the congress corruptly wanted all of their tax filings and they had to hand them over because that's yep. what you shall furnish remember everyone was talking about that word shall now a, yep. bit, a bit later a bit after charles reddick was shoved in there trump rammed through his pick for irs chief counsel michael desmond telling aides uh-huh. that his appointment was actually a higher priority than that of Bill Barr, meaning his potential tax problems... Were more important to him than what was going to come out in the Mueller report.
1: <laughs> yeah, and 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 by the way, long as we're talking about Reddick, um, when he was nominated, he of course failed to disclose the fact that he earns as much as a million dollars a year in rental income from the Trump branded properties that he co owns in Hawaii. Yeah. So um, yeah, there's that. Uh, but Reddick really has demonstrated his determination to keep the post in ways that have. Impressed Democratic officials, so for example, surprised Democratic lawmakers in April when he pegged the tax gap, right? That's the difference between what the IRS is owed and what it collects, right? The enforcement uh, mechanism there as possibly greater than a trillion dollars annually.
0: Okay, and we're only asking for a 1.7 trillion dollar infrastructure bill. That's <laughs> most of that yeah. one year. Uh, and that appears to play into the Democrats messaging that we need to be aggressive about tax enforcement. Yep. Right. And he's also talked positively Reddig has about specifically stepping up tax enforcement on the rich and mobilizing the IRS to disperse the new Biden child tax credits and other stimulus programs, which you will talk about later, Andrew. But not all Dems are on board. Quote. Yep. He represents some real risks, and it's a little unclear how much you can rely on the guy, but there's a strong reluctance to try to change things right now. That was a, a senior House Democratic aide who spoke, you know, on the condition of anonymity. So, mm-hmm. Andrew, why the reluctance to clean House here, boot him out, and just put, put a Biden-friendly guy in the driver's seat?
1: Yeah, there's some political considerations here, right? So, first, a lot of Democrats really are concerned that removing him could embroil the IRS in a political controversy, right? You might recall that that was a massive headache for Obama when, in 2010, the Tea Party accused his administration of going after conservative nonprofits. That turned out, by the way, 100% false, right? Not the case, right? But it's part of kind of the background Meme conditions that, you know, people (laughs) the same folks that think, you know, Hillary Clinton rapes and murders babies in the basement of a pizza parlor that doesn't have a basement uh, think that uh, the last Democratic administration used the IRS to target their political enemies. So there's I I think on the one hand, there's this idea of why risk uh, something that could have a huge kind of political backfire um, when. Keeping the Trump appointee around sort of insulates you from charges that you are weaponizing the IRS for political purposes. Now, l- look, um, <laughs> let's be realistic here, right? The Republican Party is going to make those accusations regardless, right?
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. And if he screws up, the Republicans won't care if he's a Trump holdover. They'll go after yeah. Biden for anything they don't like happening at the IRS. So now... Reddick appears to be saying all the right things, right, to appeal to Democrats. Do we have red meat? They're throwing kale at us. They're throwing kale. Right. Um, perhaps perhaps this is a bid to keep his job, uh, which terms out, by the way, in 2022, end of 2022, in November. So here's some other things, though, Andrew. What are some of the other things he's said that are appealing to Democrats? Because there's quite a bit.
1: Yep. and And again, this is drilling down deeper you know what you might say walking the walk on the tax gap enforcement issue right so last month he said the irs was quote outgunned uh and and again think about what that means right that means ultra wealthy people can afford to hire high-priced lawyers and accountants to try and evade their taxes right and Mm -hmm. that the irs needs more funding in order to close that gap saying quote The IRS absolutely needs more resources across all lanes of the agency. And um, if if you're thinking maybe I'm the one reading this as like, you know, a tap to the side of the note, like, no, no, no. Like Pennsylvania Democratic uh, Representative Brendan Boyle said, quote, Having a Trump appointee making classically Democratic arguments that there needs to be greater IRS enforcement of the wealthy to pay their taxes is very health- helpful to us. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And and, and he's, he's actually drawing criticism from Republicans uh, including good old Idaho Republican <laughs> Crapo, uh, Mike Crapo, the top Republican on the Finance Committee, who wrote a letter to Reddig, a Reddig letter, asking for an explanation of his tax gap estimate. You know the trillion dollars that you were yep. talking about. Uh, a- and former IRS Commissioner Mark Everson also questioned Reddig's numbers, saying, "You either have good numbers or you don't." It serves to undermine the thorough, albeit slow estimates by the irs career professionals to speculate about something of this importance
1: (laughs) yeah yeah and you alluded earlier to michael desmond right that was the IRS chief counsel that Trump rammed through at the last minute, right, to help protect his tax returns. He, he said, comparisons of audits of the rich done shortly after filing deadlines were, quote, very misleading, end of quote, and said that Reddick had long been focused on reversing the decline in IRS staff.
0: Mm. Yeah, but on the other hand, liberal economist Dean Baker has said, Quote, it's enormously important for Biden to have someone leading the IRS that he has confidence in. And if I were Biden, I would not have confidence in Reddick. Reddick is saying better things, but I'm sure he is political enough that if he wants to stay there, he has to at least provide lip service to Biden's agenda. If I were Biden, would I trust that? The answer would be no. No. So if he stays, there's a lot that Biden would have to rely on him for when considering the massive stimulus legislation he's he's proposed and has passed and is, is about to propose, right?
1: Yep, yep. Yeah, that that's right. So in addition to the child tax benefit, which passed as part of COVID relief, the the jobs plan and and, and you know, we're likely to get some version of this, right? The jobs plan includes billions in tax credits for clean energy, for research and development, and for housing. And then Biden's Families Plan also calls for child care tax subsidies, paid family leave, health care credits, that all of those things would be Reddick's responsibility. And that's not even to mention the increased tax rates on the wealthy that are at the dispute, you know, the heart of the dispute between Biden's plan uh, and and the Republicans. But uh, but again, I think we're, we're likely to get some version of that to pay for infrastructure.
0: Yeah, they're still extremely far apart. I think the latest numbers were 800 billion on the Republican side and 1.7 trillion. So Biden came down. Biden came down ten times more than the Republicans came up. <laughs> uh, but of course, Republicans want to pay for it by cutting, you know, uh, programs. And uh, Biden says, "Just tax the fucking rich, man. Could you just right. <laughs> a trillion dollar tax gap?" And so. That's sort of why it's interesting that Reddick, the Trump lackey, is, is is saying that, that that tax yeah. gap exists and that enforcement needs to happen and we need more resources to do it. Now, Bill Pascrell, one of Reddick's biggest critics, says that Reddick seems like a decent guy. But Biden should replace him with, quote, someone in the boat rowing the same direction. <laughs> uh, I tend to agree because the cover he provides will never shut Republicans up about their bullshit objections to paying their fair share of taxes. They just won't shut up about it. And they're going to be dicks about it no matter what. You know,
1: I I, I think that's right. I mean, I, I in in, you know, we sort of straw botted both ways. Uh, but. Uh, I, uh, Dean Baker's comments of, you know, there's there's a lot of heavy lifting and hard work to do. And, uh, you know, do you trust this guy or not? And I I don't see how you can, you know, look out with a straight face and say, I definitely trust that this guy is, what <laughs> was Pascal, right rowing the same direction as the rest of us? Uh, yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, I guess on the bright side is, is for a Trump hold, holdover, he's at least saying the right things. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, so I guess there's that.
1: And we, and we should be, flagging that when we can so
0: uh
1: we will be right back with more cleanup on aisle 45 right after this
0: yes we will stay with us
1: hey this is andrew and this is an ad for magic spoon i am calling out all the cereal lovers this is a big announcement look if you're like me and uh, you know you love a good bowl of cereal but you're not keen on all the sugar and carbs uh this product is for you Today's episode of the podcast is brought to you by Magic Spoon. They're the super delicious but healthy cereal that brings joy to your mornings, afternoons, or, you know, whenever you're eating a bowl of cereal. If you've been a listener of any of my shows, you know that as a kid growing up, I loved cereal. Sweet, satisfying, but look like this sweetness comes from an insane amount of sugar, right? And stuff that I'm trying to avoid when I'm an adult. You also know that I've tried Magic Spoon. It tastes like the cereal you grew up with as a kid. It's much more nutritious, right? Magic Spoon has zero grams of sugar. They have 13 to 14 grams of protein and only four net grams of carbs in each serving. Better than that, only 140 calories per serving. It's keto-friendly. That's important to me. It's grain-free. It's low-carb. Oh, and if you're celiac, it's gluten-free. If you have an allergy or intolerance, it's soy-free, right? Best of all, you can build your own box. Available flavors to build your very own custom bundle include cocoa fruity you know that one is frosted peanut butter blueberry that's new and cinnamon like i love the new flavors and uh you know you can combine them in the bowl if you mix the cocoa with the peanut butter it tastes like a peanut butter cup so anyway head on over to magicspoon.com slash cleanup grab a custom bundle of cereal give it a try today and be sure to use our promo code cleanup at checkout to save five bucks off your order Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So look, you don't like it for any reason. They will refund your money, no questions asked. So to get your next delicious bowl of guilt-free cereal at magicspoon.com cleanup and use the code cleanup, C-L-E-A-N-U-P to save $5. Thank you, Magic Spoon, for sponsoring this episode
0: hey everybody welcome back i have some very important very hilarious cleanup news for y'all that's what this block is the c block hilarious block merrick garland's justice <laughs> department has withdrawn a subpoena issued by Barr's justice department that sought information about the parody account on twitter called <laughs> devin nunez's mom
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah i love this so uh Newly unsealed court documents uh, filed by Twitter trying to quash the subpoena were revealed last Monday with Twitter positing that Trump's Department of Justice was trying to help Nunes in his years long idiotic temper tantrum trying to unmask parody accounts on Twitter making fun of him.
0: Yeah, it appears that uh, Chief Justice Beryl Howell had ordered- I love the, her. <laughs> the, I know, me too. They, she ordered the Department of Justice to respond to Twitter's motion to quash, right, uh, by Wednesday. And rather than continue the idiocy, Garland's Department of Justice just withdrew the subpoena. And while this is hilarious and ridiculous, <laughs> yeah. what, what Barr was trying to do isn't funny.
1: Yeah, no, that, 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 here's the serious component- Hayden Schottenlander, right, that's the attorney representing Twitter, wrote uh, in a declaration made public on Monday that an assistant U.S. attorney in Washington told him in January that the subpoena was issued as part of a criminal investigation into. And again, this is from his declaration, quote, threatening communications in interstate commerce, end of quote, and specifically highlighted an area of the law that relate to threats to kidnap or injure.
0: Yeah, and the subpoena showed a Capitol Police agent was seeking the information because apparently, and I didn't know this, the Capitol Police have jurisdiction over threats mm-hmm. against members of Congress. Uh, the Nunez Alt account originated as a parody of Nunez's mother under the name Devin Nunez's mom, but that was suspended <laughs> by Twitter in 2019. <laughs>
1: Oh, uh, yeah. I think Devin Nunes' mom followed both of us. Um, uh, so anyway, as we know, in 2019, uh, Nunes sued at Devin Nunes' mom and another parody account. This one definitely is engaged with both of us <laughs> at Devin Cow, which called Nunes a treasonous cowpoke.
0: <laughs> well, that's threatening injury. We must contact the Capitol Police at once, uh, Andrew.
1: Yeah. Uh, So Nunes alleged that the accounts had defamed him, ruined his reputation. That's going to be a tough one to prove Uh, and caused him to win his 2018 election by a narrower margin than expected. Not sure that that qualifies as damages. Most of these suits have been laughed out of court. Uh, or voluntarily withdrawn by Nunes, yeah.
0: You know, when I grew up in Ohio uh, on Whittlesey Drive, there was a neighbor named Heather. She was my age, you know, five or something. They had a basset hound named Rachel. And whenever Heather was mad, like if you, were, if you were teasing her, or if you were arguing with her, she would stomp her foot and she would yell, Quit! And and that's just sort of what I'm reminded of here. Because I think I feel like Nunez is, is is Rachel the Bassett Hound stomping his foot and yelling quit, because it's just the most ridiculous. I didn't win by enough. The fake Twitter cow hurt my fifis. I just it's absolutely <laughs> ridiculous, and I I just oh. want to let everybody know, uh, Merrick Garland's Department of Justice. Although this wasn't a stretch. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um uh,
0: but still to, to the the fact that there was like grand juries impaneled to unmask these Twitter accounts is frightening. That's yep. frightening. Yep. Um and I know a little bit about that. Uh, but another story <laughs> that made me laugh today that falls into the cleanup category after a trip to Iceland to discuss Russian claims on the Arctic seas now that much of the ice has melted. Uh, U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken confirmed to reporters that the U.S. does not, in fact, intend to buy <laughs> Greenland. <laughs> I,
1: I had almost forgotten that. Gosh. <laughs> so anyway, if you remember, a uh, former guy had proposed buying the island, right? Um, but uh, uh, in, in addition, as as long as we're just. Uh, uh, Let's pile it on. Doing a roundup of things that make us laugh. We have an update in the Matt Gates investigation. Uh, a new name has surfaced in a grand jury subpoena: Joe Ellicott. Right, that is a close friend and former employee of Joel Greenberg, who is now cooperating. Uh, the grand jury is investigating alleged crimes, quote, involving commercial sex acts with adult and minor women as well as obstruction of justice, and seeks any communications, documents, recordings, and payments the individual had with Ellicott, Gates, and Greenberg from January 2016 until now. Two sources familiar with the investigation say Ellicott is also being scrutinized for alleged sex trafficking of a minor.
0: Mm, Yeah, and we also learned this week that Gates' ex-girlfriend is cooperating, too. Uh, but this new guy, Ellicott, was one of Greenberg's good buddies, groomsmen, mm-hmm. at his wedding to his wife, Abby Greenberg. I didn't even know he was married. That's even more fucked up. Uh, Ellicott was accused of sexually harassing a woman who worked in the Seminole County tax collector's office. The woman sent the office a letter on August 28th of 2019 threatening to sue over the alleged harassment that listed a host of inappropriate comments made to her, including, quote, how much he wants sex from young women and quote how he uses women sexually when they are in desperate situations such as a young student or single mom
1: oh gross um, yeah it kind of yeah. makes you
0: wonder about all those venmo transactions for tuition
1: mm-hmm. anyway uh we will keep you posted on this investigation as it unfolds and uh we'll be right back with more cleanup after this message Hey, this is Andrew, and this is an ad for SteadyMD. Remember when telehealth was a nice idea, something that seemed convenient but not necessary? That's a thing of the past now, and, I, you know, many of us can't really imagine going into a doctor's office right now. Thankfully, there's a practical and affordable way to take control of your health, get personalized care from the comfort of your home. That's SteadyMD Primary Care. Becomes your personal doctor online. It's telehealth done right. You start by taking a quiz to get matched with a licensed primary care physician who understands your lifestyle and your health needs. Next, you have a one-hour introductory appointment with your doctor to start a real relationship. After that, your doctor is available anytime by text, phone, or video chat. Unlike other services, this isn't a random doctor on call. Each SteadyMD doctor has a limited number of patients, so they have time to listen and give you the personal attention that you deserve. I actually found the quiz to be really, really informative. And I felt like the match that came up was catered just to me. I felt immediately comfortable and confident in my primary care physician. And look, one of the things that SteadyMD does is really cater to and pair with Um, Some of the most popular lifestyle and health matches out there right now, like keto, paleo, gluten-free, Whole30, vegetarian, many more. So if you're thinking about making that kind of change to your life, why not talk to a physician and find out the best way to go about it? SteadyMD primary care can help you get and stay healthy, manage your chronic conditions and concerns, reduce stress, lose weight, sleep better, feel better, and much, much more. All from the comfort of your home. So skip the waiting room, skip the germs, right? Prescriptions are sent directly to your home or to your local pharmacy, your choice. All of your medical records are in one place and you get unlimited access to your doctor for only $99 a month. There's no additional visit fees. There are no co-pays. SteadyMD will even help you understand and get the most out of your health insurance. But insurance is not required. So SteadyMD Primary Care, now accepting members of all ages in all 50 states. Go to SteadyMD.com cleanup and take the free quiz and see what doctor's perfect for you. That's SteadyMD.com slash C-L-E-A-N-U-P. No risk. No long-term commitment. SteadyMD.com slash cleanup. And again, we thank them for sponsoring this podcast.
0: I'm just checking my feed here. Nope, no Bill Barr memo.
1: Hey, this is Andrew. So as you know, despite our best efforts to record late into the evening on Monday, uh, after we recorded the bulk of this show, we in fact learned that Merrick Garland's Department of Justice intended to take a position— In the crew lawsuit, and that is particularly with respect to the memorandum from Assistant Attorney General Stephen A. Engel of the Office of Legal Counsel and his principal associate deputy attorney general Edward C. O'Callaghan. This is the March 24th, 2019 memo. And you will recall that Judge Jackson ruled that this memorandum was not protected as part of the deliberative process privilege because it was pretextual that, uh, Bill Barr had already intended uh, to uh, release his misleading summary of the Mueller report and not charge Donald Trump. And so therefore, right, as we've long talked about on this show and on opening argument, if you were not actually seeking legal advice, it's not part of the deliberative process privilege. Right. If you've made up your mind uh, and this is all just, you know, kind of a bunch of uh, pretextual nonsense that is. Um, tacked on after the fact, then the public has a right to see it. Because in general, you know, we believe in open uh, sunshine laws. We believe that people should know and have a right to access documents that are generated by your government. So what has the Garland DOJ done? Number one, it's agreed that it intends to appeal Judge Jackson's ruling. That's disappointing to me, and you're going to figure out why. It also has moved for a partial stay of the document in question, pending an appeal of Judge Jackson's ruling to the D.C. Circuit. Now, I say partial because one of the things that isn't really going reported in the press is that the first two pages of this, what is effectively an eight page memorandum, have been declassified right so that is page one and then section one of this memo and it describes the findings that are then blacked out in section two and to which the government objects to produce to which Merrick Garland right apologies for that you're going to need a little edit point on it at uh right about 239 it looks like anyway This is Joe Biden's DOJ. This is Merrick Garland's decision. He could have said, uh, we do not uh, choose to appeal this result. We think you should release this memorandum, this Engel memorandum uh, to crew and to the public. They didn't take that approach. They also took the approach that Uh, They want to stay the release of the document pending the appeal to the D.C. Circuit. But again, uh, it is on the substantive part of the analysis, uh, which is everything blacked out from the bottom of page two until the end of the document, which, again, is is eight pages long. And here's the argument that they've prepared. They've said, look, Something becomes because the, the the key question is whether the advice is pre-decisional or not, right? right? And Judge Jackson's opinion says um it's not pre-decisional. You already made up your mind. What the DOJ is taking an aggressive position to protect here and and I understand it, even though I disagree with it, is that it can be predecisional if the kind of analysis is the kind of analysis that is consistent with undertaking a decision to prosecute, whether or not ultimately that that decision was made in advance. That seems a little awkward, so let me try and explain that a little better, right? Um, the court said, look, This memorandum was drafted at the same time that Bill Barr was preparing his grotesquely misleading summary of the Mueller report. And so, therefore, it cannot have been pre-decisional. The decision was already made. However, it's a pretty recent Supreme Court decision, Fish and Wildlife Services versus Sierra Club, that says, whether a document communicates the agency's settled position, courts must consider whether the agency treats the document as its final view on the matter or whether it leaves decision makers free to change their mind. One relevant factor in determining whether a document is predecisional is whether the author possesses the legal authority to decide the matter at issue. Well, um, that. Was clearly not the case, right? Like Stephen Engel did not think that he was communicating the final result. Stephen Engel, from what we can tell, and I and I trust them on this, was analyzing aggressively from the Trump administration's perspective uh, whether to charge Donald Trump with a crime pursuant to Section Two of the Mueller report. So you might ask, okay, but. How does that change if the outcome has already been decided? Right. And the answer is that a document, and again, this is the argument, can retain its predecisional character so long as the decision could be informed by that memorandum. In other words, you haven't made a final decision yet. You might change your mind. This bears on the subject matter. And so even if it seems like it's pretextual uh, that that would preserve the deliberative process privilege. Okay, that's the best case argument I can come up with, right, is that the DOJ wants to preserve an aggressive view of what constitutes pre-decisional authority because it doesn't want this to come back and, you know, bite them in the behind uh, when the Biden administration is deliberating about a controversial policy and they actually need to protect that privilege. And, And look, I've given examples of this before. Right. Like you would not want let's say that the administration is debating whether to conduct military strikes. Right. And uh, at the end of the day, right, one of the, the pieces of legal advice that they're asked to, to call upon is, does this violate you know, various canons of international law? Would it violate the Geneva Convention? All that sort of thing. Um, you would not want all of the deliberations on whether to bomb people to be made public as an administration right you would want especially if you decide the other way right and you you would want your advisors to feel free to say no here are the strong arguments for undertaking this action even if ultimately they lose and so i i, I agree with the idea in general uh, that you know you want to be aggressive in protecting the deliberative process privilege when you're the president when you're the Department of Justice um, I don't know that giving in here would have set any kind of precedent other than pretextual memoranda delivered contemporaneously with the decision having already been made do not fall under the deliberative process privilege and do not deserve legal protection. And, you know, if you want to avoid being caught up in that, um, don't issue pretextual memoranda. Don't make up your mind. Um, keep an open mind and actually solicit input from folks uh, if uh, that's what you think you want. So at the end of the day, I I, I understand this. Uh, I'm I'm disappointed. Um, and I think that uh if if you go to read it, uh you will probably come to that conclusion. There is a little bit more out there than I think some news outlets are, are, are telling us. Um but at the end of the day, like this is really, really significant and uh it is a uh you know, a crucial issue regarding trust uh in the process going on at, at uh in the other guy's Department of Justice. And um I certainly wish they'd come out differently. Welcome back. And uh, for a D block right? so so we've got two uh, much beloved segments, right? We have the one we introduced last week in the Republican Civil War. If you want ongoing developments in that, I I think, uh, you know, maybe there's some shots fired to be read with uh, Maryland Governor Larry Hogan announcing lottery payoffs for people who get vaccinated, right? Right.
0: Um, yeah. And oh, and uh, Mitt Romney has changed positions. He now supports the Insurrection Commission. Uh, so there's that. There's that little yeah. bit of and of course, the entire Sunderland block uh, is, <laughs> is this. And it's uh, this, this suit against Pompeo. And it's fantastic. Uh, but we have yep. uh, one new comings and goings. Is that right? That is absolutely right. Yeah. Yeah, so since we last checked in, the Senate has confirmed three more Biden nominees, and various committees have favorably reported out key appointees like Under Secretary of Defense Mike McCord, Under Secretary for Intelligence Ronald Moultrie and Deputy HUD Secretary Adrian Todman.
1: Welcome. Yeah, welcome aboard. And 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 look, the pipeline continues to fill up, right? Like we we've, we've talked about this, but uh, for each and every one of these PAS nominees, uh you have to schedule a Senate hearing, right? That has to, and that committee hearing has to take place. So uh, we have new hearings being held for a number of high profile appointees. Um, You know, far too many to list. There are 145 in the pipeline. But today we learned somebody, Beginning the process, a new nominee for chairperson of the National Transportation Safety Board. This is Jennifer Homendy. Now, this would be a promotion for her. She is already on the board, but would ascend to become its chair.
0: Yeah. Homendy represents Biden's continuing commitment to the, you know, the traditional Democratic constituency in organized labor. Mm-hmm. Um, she's been a Senate staffer. But before being appointed to the board, she previously held positions with the International Brotherhood of Teamsters, Transportation Trades Department, the AFL-CIO, and American Iron and Steel Institute. Big ones.
1: Yeah, yeah. And she will be replacing Robert Sumwalt, uh, who was appointed to the NTSB by George W. Bush in 2006, served as vice chair, went back to the board, uh, was uh, re-nominated by Obama, right? So, I, you know, I, I can't... Uh, For a Republican, he does not seem to be a Trump hack, uh, but was elevated to the chairmanship by Donald Trump. Uh, So, you know, I'm I'm not sad to see uh, to see him get the boot.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, neither am I. And but I'll tell you what, I think I don't know if we report on this last week, but I think two of the three Biden nominees for the Postal Board of Governors Mm -hmm. have been confirmed. Uh, I don't know about the third. I haven't heard about the third yet. Uh, and of course, did we did we mention
1: Nira Tandon last week? I thought we did, but uh, but feel free, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, that, we that, might that, have
0: right. worth another mention. She, you know, yeah. uh, her they had to withdraw her nomination because of her mean tweets.
1: Yeah, God, you know, it was so mm, such a such a fair comparison to mm. you know a president who spent four years you know describing shithole countries. But, mm, of course, you know, yeah, totally Neera, fair. Nira Tandon once, you know. Uh, anyway, all right. But,
0: uh, but she's been hired to White House yes. as a special yep. advisor. So, meh. Yep.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Suck on that mean
0: tweet, Devin Nunes. <laughs> Don't be sad about your fake cows. We... Although I will say, I love Devin Nunez's cow. They actually sent me a, a plush, two-foot-tall cow uh, to my post office box as a gift. Wow! I, I'm very, very touched by it. I still have it. It's one of my favorite things mm-hmm. here in my studio.
1: Well, they've never sent me a gift, so uh I take back all the nice things I said about that again.
0: You can share my cow.
1: Oh, thank you so much.
0: You're welcome. <laughs> I'm a cow. I'm a bovine sharer. I'm a I'm there a you go. heifer sharer, if you will. Excellent. Excellent. Now uh well that's that's our show. That's I'm gonna check one more time here for the yep. for the uh for the bar memo. Uh do do Uh, the dick of the day trophy goes to Liz Cheney for showing she's no different than Trump and his racist cult when it comes to supporting voter suppression. Okay, no. That was an interesting story, though. Remember how everyone was like, "Yay, Liz Cheney stood up to the insurrection and the big lie. But but then she sat down and said uh, that it has that that big lie has nothing to do with the hundreds of voter suppression bills that are being passed.
1: Uh, Okay. Yeah, no, in in fairness to Liz Cheney, what? I don't know. The fairness is the right word. Like, (laughs) She's right. That's an entirely separate voter suppression effort that is key to keeping Republicans in power despite their dwindling minority of actual support among actual voters. So, yeah, like, look, when we cover the Republican Civil War, it's not because either side of that you should be rooting for, right? Like you should be rooting for World War One, like have them draw trenches uh, and, you know, uh, be stuck in that for, I don't know, the rest of their natural lives. Uh, these are these are still uh, bad people with bad ideas and the fact that it's breaking down into bad people with bad ideas who are at least somewhat connected to reality and lie about the stuff that they don't want you to know about or bad people with bad ideas who are also unhinged deranged conspiracy theory lunatics. Like, you don't have to pick a side in that war.
0: Mm, yeah, although it is connected in the sense that Republicans are using the big lie to justify passing these voter suppression bills. And that is the connection that Liz Cheney is refusing to make.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, that, that, that is a, that it, I stand corrected.
0: Yeah, no, just the, in that way. But I mean, yeah, there, there's all kinds of different separate voter suppression things that they're trying <laughs> to do. So I that's, mean, look, but we have Thomas Hofeller's
1: directory, right? Yeah. Like this is not, you know, we do, we do or, not have to... Is that how it's pronounced? I've always called it Hofeller, but, you know.
0: Well, just because of, you know, Dr. Hoffar and Amal (laughs) from The Man with Two Brains, I call him Huffler. Uh, Um, I love it. That's the only reason I do that. Now, also, (laughs) Senator Brian Schatz just said today, if we can't even get a bipartisan commission to investigate an insurrection, then the filibuster has to go. And that's interesting because apparently Joe Manchin was relatively... Uh, clutching his pearls and furrowing his brow susan collins style uh today angry at the fact that the republicans forced the democrats in forced the democrats to make a bunch of changes to the commission legislation and then didn't support it and for some reason joe manchin was surprised by this um i don't need a fainting couch um, that's been happening for a really long time, Joe. But it just seems like he is now starting to go through the motions of, you know, being. A, oh my goodness! I can't believe they aren't going along with you know this show that he feels he needs to put on in order to justify even changing the filibuster a little bit. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, but 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 again, uh, this is and and you have flagged that story as a positive development, and it is right. Manchin's entire M.O. is I want to make sure Republicans are at the table. And if he can convince right uh, his base, his supporters in West Virginia of Hey, look, like I I tried. And here are five separate examples of when I held up legislation and I voted against Democrats and I said, come to the table. And they did. And we made changes. And then you voted against it anyway. You know, maybe maybe that is going to provide him the political cover he needs. I sure hope so.
0: Yeah. And and Leader Schumer says that the Senate will consider the legislation. He's going to force a vote on this so that Manchin can get a list of names of everybody who voted no, but requested that it be an even Stephen five and five on the commission and, you know, all this other crap. So, (laughs) I mean, we'll see what happens. He's got to go through the motions for his voters. Uh, That's political theater. That's just how it works in some states versus other states. As we know, we're well aware of that. Uh, it's frustrating to watch when you know it's happening, <laughs> but uh, you know it's it is what it is. And I hate people who say it is what it is. So let me retract that. Uh, uh, but but you know, I mean, we. I think I personally think that that there should be an independent council appointed to to look into the commission, or have Pelosi put together a congressional commission to look into it. Although that would be hugely political and quite annoying to watch in some aspects. Uh, Uh, But, you know, we do have the criminal investigation into the insurrection uh, going on right now uh, out of of the Department of Justice. Um, So it's being investigated. But, you know, we know they've said the quiet part out loud. Mitch McConnell has said the reason he's not supporting it is because the findings are going to come out right around the time 2022. We start gearing up for another election and he doesn't want uh, that. He doesn't want that albatross around the neck of the Republican Party like they haven't already got 67 albatrosses.
1: What's the plural for alba- albatry? <laughs> Albatrossi yeah, Hanging around
0: their necks. But uh, I, it, anyway. It, I,
1: yeah. It, it, I... F- I forget who it was that says, you know, that said you you don't invite Republicans onto a bipartisan commission investigating the insurrection any more than you would have invited Al Qaeda to participate in the 9-11 commission. Mm -hmm. Um, And and, you know, it's easy to kind of use that as a laugh line or or see how. But like it, it like it's true. Like it's we, extremely we have <laughs> evidence from the impeachment, right? That the call came from inside the house, right? That, like, I, it,
0: yeah. I, well, it's like Barr uh, investigated themselves and found that they did nothing wrong. You yeah, know, that's, shocker. There you go. And you know, all the Republicans are like, "Well, Barr said so. Well, he's part of the conspiracy." Uh, you know what? Just <laughs> never, never. You mind. Uh, But anyway, this has been great. Uh, I'm so sorry that this Bill Barr memo didn't drop uh, in time. If it does, we'll try to squeeze in an update. Absolutely. Uh, But if not, you know that opening arguments and the beans are going to cover it. You'll hear about it from us. It'll happen. We
1: we We won't leave you in the lurch.
0: We absolutely will not, and we'll talk all about it on next week's Clean Up on L45. Thank you so much for listening. Yep, see you there. Cleanup on Ile 45 is written and produced by Allison Gill and Andrew Torres, and is engineered and edited by Mackenzie Mizell and Starburns Audio. Fact checking and research by Allison Gill and Andrew Torres, with quality assurance and media by Muller She wrote LLC. Branding, design, and logo by Starburns Audio and Joelle Reader with Moxie Design Studios, and our copy is written by Jesse Egan. Our music is written and recorded by Adam Orr and Christopher Hoffy, and our opening sequence was designed by Allison Gill and mixed by Mackenzie Mizell and Starburns Audio. Follow us on Twitter at Aisle 45 Pod and listen wherever you get your podcasts.